Hey, good morning, friends. Uh, it's good to see you. No, I can't see you. It's good for you to see me. No, that doesn't work. None of it works. Uh, friends, I hope and pray that uh, you're connected uh, with the Lord. I hope and pray you're connected with friends, with family, with community group. Um, these are pretty historic times, and uh, it feels strange to be here in the office with just a small handful of other people and not seeing your face. I, I miss seeing you, for those of you who I know, and, and uh, for the rest of you, I, I hope and I pray um, that there is relief soon and we'll be able to safely gather together. But in the meantime, I'm thankful that we live in an age of technology like this where we can have people uh, leading liturgy and scripture readings and singing from their own living rooms and we can gather digitally like this. So it's, it's good um, because I was thinking about the New Testament, really most of the letters in the New Testament are the Apostle Paul and others doing pastoral care remotely. And if it was up to me and many others trying to only write letters, uh, you guys would not receive a lot of pastoral care. It would go downhill quickly. So I'm thankful for video, and I'm thankful for technology that enables us to connect uh, in this way. I want to take a brief minute before we dive into the teaching portion. I want to just talk to you about generosity. This is the part in our worship gathering where we usually respond in worship to the Lord through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And if I can be honest with you, this portion about the, the, the economics and the finances is the portion that currently for me is weighing the most heavily on my heart. Um, it's not that I'm unconcerned about the actual health risks, but I don't personally know anyone who has, uh, you know, been extremely sick because of the COVID-19, but I do personally know many people who have lost their jobs uh, in the last week or so. I even just got a text late last night about another member um, within Sound City who, who lost a job. And, and so it feels... Uh, a little bit painful, even weighty or heavy to talk to you about generosity in this moment. But, you know, we often quote that verse from 2 Corinthians about how God loves a cheerful giver. And that verse comes from this letter to 2 Corinthians, uh, the letter of the 2 Corinthians, in a time of incredible financial turmoil throughout the Roman Empire. And so for us to think about the practice of generosity, we, we need to remember that we are not alone, that there are generations and generations of followers of Jesus throughout the centuries who have faced economic hardships, economic pressures. And that, that verse about uh, God loving a cheerful giver, it talks about, Paul talks about how their extreme poverty welled up within them in a heart of generosity. And so friends, more than ever before, we need to have open hearts and open wallets to take care of each other to take care of the people of God. And so we, we as churches are doing that through official tithes and offerings and collections, but, but even beyond that, who are those people in your life, those people in your community group, your family members, those people in your neighborhood who the Lord wants to use you to demonstrate the generosity of his gospel to them. And so I just, I give that to you. Um, if, if you are able and you can, and you want to give to the work of the ministry between Sound City Bible Church and Martha Lake Baptist, there'll be some information up on the screen, how you can do that online, or you can mail in a check. But more than anything else, friends, I just want to address that heart I know, I'm feeling it, you're feeling it. Many of us are feeling the, the pressure and the fear of, of economic worry. And I simply want to say that God is our provider, ultimately, and we can trust in him. 
And so I say all that to say, uh, give as you're able. Let's care for each other in these times of fear and uncertainty. And with that said, we're going to transition into a teaching time. But before we do that, we are going to have a scripture reading. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in one of the parables of Jesus. And we have a member from Martha Lake. Amy is going to do our scripture reading for today. So I'll have her do the reading now. This is God's word from Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It's a firm foundation. It is a source of life and truth and healing and comfort in these troubling times. Lord, I pray that you would help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And I pray you'd give each and every single one of us soft hearts, receptive hearts, teachable hearts, hearts that would seek comfort and security in you. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. So Jesus was well known in his teaching ministry for using parables. Uh, Jesus was not the only one who used parables. In fact, Jesus is often drawing from many of the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures as he teaches his parables, but he's well known for his parables. And I, I love the parables of Jesus because even though there's an element of mystery to them, they're not always perfectly clear. They're memorable. And in this parable of, it's called the parable of the growing seed, we, we meet this farmer and you see the farmer kind of doing two things. He's working hard. But then he also rests at night and it says explicitly, he doesn't exactly know how this all works. He plants the seed, he, he, he does his job, but he doesn't really fully understand exactly how all of these crops are going to grow. And if I'm being honest, I can relate to that. No, I'm not a farmer, but there are elements of my work that I can relate to not fully understanding how things work. I'll give you two examples. The first one is computers. I spend a pretty good amount of my week on computers, uh, reading, researching for sermon prep, typing up the sermons, um, you know, even uh, video chatting and conference calling. Uh, this week, doing this Facebook Live, I'm, I'm pretty decent with computers. I figured out how to do some of this. I have no idea how they work. I know that there's something like a circuit board and a motherboard and a RAM and a ROM. And I know that there's those pieces in there and there's like electrons flowing through, but I don't really fully understand it. I just trust that when I say, hey, Jacob, push go live on Facebook, it's going to go live. You ever feel that way? Yeah, I know the things I can do, but some of this stuff is just ultimately outside of my control. There's another area. It's a little more personal. It's, it's my own children. So I know some things about being a parent. I know that children need food and water and clothing. I know that they need rhythm and, and routine and some structure. I know that they need love and hugs and affection and correction. And, and I know those things. And, I, and I, I hope and pray by God's grace that I'm a good dad and I, I try to invest in my children. But as my kids grow and get older, they just grow and they mature and they turn into these like human beings that I don't have ultimate control over. 
even the last couple of weeks of being uh, together in the home more, I'm, I'm developing just a deeper appreciation for these humans that they're becoming. And, and I sit there and think, okay, I've got all this work to do. I've got to take care of the kids and provide for the kids. And then at the end of the day, they're outside of my control. Jesus tells this parable showing that even a farmer, an an expert in his field, an agricultural society that he's teaching this parable to, people would have related with this. Farmers, you know when to plant the seeds and when to do the watering and when to do the harvest. But at the end of the day, there's so much about all of that that is outside the farmer's control. And friends, if we're honest with ourselves, there's so much of our own lives that's really outside of our control. So that's the big idea of what I want to share with you today is this. We we don't have ultimate control over our lives. But Jesus can be trusted. We don't have ultimate control, but Jesus can be trusted. Let me focus on the the first part of that, the, the negative part of that, because I hate to burst your bubble, but the reality is this. Much of what we think of as having control over our lives is just an illusion. See, think about this. For, for most of human history, power or control, or maybe I'll use the word sovereignty, was concentrated in the hands of just a very few people. Pharaohs, kings, emperors, they were the ones that had control. Uh, I think about when we were uh, in our study of the book of Daniel. Both Sound City and Martha Lake went through Daniel this last fall. And in Daniel chapter 4, there's a scene where Nebuchadnezzar is walking around. He's looking at Babylon, this, this ancient wonder of the world. And it's, it's right before he goes crazy. But he's, he's walking around and he says, Oh, look at this Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory. He's pretty full of himself. He's got the power and he knows it. But so you got to remember that for most of human history, people, just broadly speaking, people did not have the power, only kings and emperors, people like Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and, you know, Caesar did. But then along comes modern, democratic, Western societies. And, and really the idea there is to get the power out of the hands of the few and to give it to the many. And, and friends, That's a good thing for so many reasons. It's a good thing to distribute the power and authority so that the few have a harder time taking advantage of the many. But it does come with some risks. It does come with some negative side effects. As Western society has taken power out of the hands of the few and given it to us, the many, we can start to have this illusion of power and control and and pride can creep into our hearts and we start to live like we are sovereign, like we are kings, like we have the power. Nothing illustrates this better in my mind than the experience of going to a restaurant. You guys remember restaurants? Restaurants is a familiar word. We used to have this thing, restaurants. You would go there and you would sit down and an army of people, literally days, weeks, months, even years before you ever sat down there have been laboring and working to build the ovens and the cooktops and the dishes that are used. And then other people have been farming and, and producing food so that you can sit down at the table and, and people can walk up to you and say, my Lord, what could you, what would you like to order today? And we say, oh, I would like the 
chicken fettuccine or whatever. We're all eating too much carbs right now. I just, I know it. But you order and then they bring it back and you're like, I said no tomatoes and they take it back. And here you are, this sovereign king, this sovereign queen, this ruler over your domain, an experience of going to a restaurant, something that for the vast majority of human history, nobody got to do except for pharaohs and emperors and kings. We live like we're sovereign. We live like we've got power and control over our lives. And friends, a situation like this, this whole coronavirus outbreak shows us just how fragile life really is. Life is so fragile, but I feel like we're, we have a hard time seeing it because again, our society has set us up to think that we're the ones with power. I could go to verse after verse after verse after verse in the Bible that declares that God alone is sovereign. God alone is king. He alone rules and reigns over all things. But friends, I just, I belabor this point because it's so easy for me, and I think for you, to believe that we've got more power than we actually do. Jesus comes along in this parable and he says, you know what the kingdom of God is like? You know what it's like to live in the kingdom of God? It's like a farmer who knows the things that he can do and the things that he can't do. It's like a farmer who understands where he should work and what he can do, but understands those things that are just outside of his power and outside of his control. And friends, um, if what I'm saying uh, rattles you, I hope and I pray that you understand I'm, I'm trying to rattle you in love. It is a grace of God to remove out of our hands a burden that we were never meant to carry. We were not built for sovereignty. We were built for partnership with God to be stewards over his good creation, but not to be our own sovereigns. And as you hear me sharing all this, maybe you sense a couple of different reactions coming up in your heart. One, one bad reaction that might happen for some of you is this idea of like, well, I'm just going to double down. Don't tell me I don't have control. Don't tell me I don't have power. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to read every blog and figure out every statistic. And I'm going to personally email the White House and the World Health Organization. And I'm going to just manage my relationships and manage my time and get a schedule together for my kids' homeschool. And I'm just going to double down and exercise control everywhere that I possibly can. Is that you? Some moments that's me. Only problem is, is it's, it's still this underlying belief of I'm sovereign. I've got the power. It's all up to me. If I don't act, who will? And friends, I think that the end game of that approach is just crippling anxiety. There's so much. Are you, how are you going to manage all of this? You can't manage all of it. So then some of you have bad reaction number two, which is just give up. Never mind. Kids can do whatever they want. I've been wearing the same pair of sweatpants for 11 days, eating only Captain Crunch. Some of you, it's, it's way more serious with escapism. And, and I, I sincerely have concern that during this season, those who have addictions or, or, or addictive tendencies will double down on those, whether it's alcohol or drug use or pornography or something more harmless seeming like online shopping friends we can run to these other things to distract us from the reality that we don't have ultimate 
control. And the problem there is it's this underlying belief of just determinism. I've got nothing to do. My choices don't matter. Or we could have this kingdom of God reaction that says, trust in God and act where you can. Trust in God. The the farmer doesn't know how it grows. It just does. He has to live in a place of trust. That does not mean that he is inactive. He rises day and night. He plants. He waits. He harvests. There is activity, but it all starts with this foundation of trust in God. And, And there's a tension there, is there not? There's a tension in that reality of ultimate control is in God's hands, and then I have to act in the areas that I can. I I could take you to a number of different places in the scripture. I happened to come across Psalm 37 this week, and the whole psalm is, is really beautiful. It's written by David, someone who knew some troubles, both personal as well as nationwide. He knew some hardships. And you can see this tension in the verses. I'll just highlight a few. Verse three, he says this. He says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. See that tension? I'm going to trust in the Lord but I'm also going to do what is good. Or verse five, it says, commit your way to the Lord. So my my way needs to be committed to the Lord, but then it also says, trust in him and he will act. Verse 23, a person's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way. Well, am I supposed to take the steps or is he the one who's establishing them? What's the answer, friends? Yes. Or verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way. Well, wait, am I supposed to wait for the Lord or am I supposed to keep his way? Yes, friends. It's so hard. We either want to go to a full, like, let go and let God, I've got nothing to do, or a clamp down, I'm going to do everything and we forget about the Lord. Friends, we just don't have that much control. God has all control. And we have to direct our hearts to that foundational truth first before we'll be able to act and to keep the Lord's way and to follow him. Now I want to go back to the parable for one more minute because I want to show you one last thing, the most important thing. Verse 26, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And friends, the most important thing I can tell you about this parable is that it's not ultimately about you and about me. It's ultimately about Jesus. See, Jesus is telling his parables to describe what it is like that God's kingdom, God's rule and reign, is now coming to earth the way that it is in heaven. Jesus is saying that even though his movement doesn't look all that impressive at first, it's some it's some rural fishermen and tax collectors and a, and a group of misfits following him. And as they go around, the religious leaders are, are antagonistic. And as they go around, the people in the villages are skeptical but intrigued. The movement of Jesus doesn't look all that impressive at first. And yet as he continues to go and teach the word, as he continues to go scatter the seed of the good news of the kingdom of God, it starts to grow. 
more people start following him, more people believe. And, and, and even, friends, there's something about Jesus in this parable. I'd be really careful. I don't want to stretch it too far. But even this line about although he doesn't know, See, friends, Jesus is and was fully God and fully man. Jesus never stopped being God during his earthly life and ministry. But Paul tells us in Philippians that that he emptied himself. There's something about Jesus' earthly life and ministry where he laid aside the independent access of all of his full uh, divine prerogatives. And there's times where Jesus says, you know, there's things that the Father knows that he doesn't know. And we sit here and we scratch our heads. How does that work? And I don't fully understand. Nobody fully understands. The Trinity is beyond our full understanding. But Jesus is even saying that in his earthly life and ministry, he has to rely upon God. He has to rely upon his heavenly Father. And he is the one, Jesus, is the one who says that he is like a seed that falls into the ground and dies. And when that seed goes into the earth and dies, it can spring up and bring much life. Friends, Jesus died on a cross, entrusting himself into the control of his heavenly father. Even though the Roman soldiers and the Jewish religious leaders had control over Jesus in that moment, he trusted himself to his father. And he was vindicated by rising on the third day. Can I get an amen from anybody in the room here? Jesus is alive and risen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Jesus did not stay dead, but he trusted himself to his father who raised him up on the third day, showing us that even the worst enemy that humankind has, death itself, has been defeated by Jesus. And all who trust in him can know eternal life. And so I ask you, friends, One day, the harvest will be ready. The crop will be ready and he will send for the sickle because the harvest has come. So I'm asking you, have you entrusted yourself to Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and said, I need forgiveness. I need a savior. I give you my sin. And have you received his grace and mercy and forgiveness? Have you committed your life to following him so that you can know that even when you don't have ultimate control, even when I don't have ultimate control, we know that he is good and loving and worthy of all of our praise and trust. So I'm going to leave you with this. Okay, well, what can we do? I'm going to direct my heart to trusting in God. What can we do? Five quick things in closing. The first thing that you can do is you can pray regularly. You can pray a lot. There's a whole series of teachings in here But the sovereign God, the God who is in control of all things, has chosen to work through the prayers of his finite creatures. Just sit on that. Take a walk. Think about that. Pray regularly. That is something you can do. Number two, you can practice self-control. There's only one human being on planet Earth that you have any modicum of control over, and it's yourself. And even that, as you try to practice self-control, you might come to the end of the day and think, boy, that was really hard, controlling myself. I don't have very good control over myself. So as you're praying, you're asking God to change you. Focus on the things in your own heart and life and mind that need to be changed and grown. Number three, we are called to love wholeheartedly. We're called to offer our hearts to Jesus in love and our hearts to our fellow believers in love and even to love our neighbors who don't yet believe in Jesus. We're called even to love our enemies, 
Now that only is going to happen when we are being regularly filled up by the love of God through prayer and and through the other spiritual practices and disciplines. But we can love. We can seek to love wholeheartedly. Number four, we can serve joyfully. Serving is so important because when you feel like you don't have control, you want to clamp down, you want to take control, that's ultimately a self-focused act. And serving, true serving, helps get our eyes off of ourselves. I got to go focus on someone else. I got to go care for someone else. I got to love someone else. And so you can serve with joy. And then number five, lastly, we got to tell people about Jesus. In God's control of all things, he is the one that does the work of saving a human heart. You can't save someone. You can't change their heart or their mind. Only he can do that. But friends, we have been commanded by Jesus to tell others. His job is saving people. Our job is to be faithful, to share his love, and to share the message that he died, he rose again, and he offers forgiveness to all. So friends, I love you. You're not that powerful. I'm not that powerful. We don't have that much control. I don't have that much control. But we are united by faith to the one who has all power. And and one day in eternity, I hope and I pray that we'll see how God used even these hardships, especially these hardships, to draw us closer to himself and to save a lot of people. In just a moment, I'm going to have Pastor Shane uh, lead us in a time of communion. So if you have the elements ready and you want to get those prepared and before Pastor Shane leads us in communion, I'm going to pray. So you join with me. God, we, we come to you. We want to surrender that illusion of control, that illusion of sovereignty that we think we have over our own lives. God, would you help us to see just how truly frail and fragile we are and how how, uh, quickly things can change. But Lord Jesus, may we have an even stronger, stronger sense of the solid footing and foundation we have when we base our lives on you. Jesus, we praise you because you are above all things and over all things and in all things and working through all things for your own glory and for our good. Help us to surrender the illusion of control and help us to act where we can for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of those that we come into contact with. Help us now as we celebrate the Lord's table to do so with a heart of trust and a heart of surrender. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning, Sound City, even if only through uh, the magic of the interwebs. Well, from our message today, um, one of the good things that we can say about seasons like these is that uh, they clearly show us uh, that the sense of control that we often cling to, that it's just utterly false, right? Uh, When God's made each one of us, when he's knit each one of us together in in our mother's wombs, when He sustains our every breath by his great power. How is it that we somehow end up still believing uh, wrongly, sinfully, pridefully, that um, we possess any measure of control? And yet we do. That's the normal experience that we each go through day to day uh, when we fail to examine our thoughts and and lay them at the feet of Jesus the way that we ought to. Um, And it's in these moments that 
we're faced with this reality of God's sovereignty and his providence. And in those moments, we can often find the most rest if we will uh, pay attention to that opportunity, if we'll take advantage of that opportunity, if we'll repent of the that burdensome illusion of control that we have and instead humbly trust the God who made the heavens to carry that burden for us instead. And maybe for many of us, as we move into a time of communion now, uh, a time of the Lord's Supper together, even if digitally, um, maybe that's something that we need to be reflecting on as we uh, go into that time together now. So for those of us who God has saved by grace and through faith in Jesus, uh, now would be the time for you to go ahead and gather up those communion elements. Hopefully, maybe you already have them ready, but if not, go ahead and grab those now. Uh, the bread and the juice uh, or wine, according to your conscience. And as we, uh, as you gather those things up, let's consider again the words of the Apostle Paul that he uh, gave us recounting what Jesus said to his first disciples about the Lord's Supper, about, about the Lord's Supper, about this memorial meal. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is the word of the Lord. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, herself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Sounds City, let's examine ourselves now as these words from the Apostle Paul and from Jesus encourage us to do. Let's spend some time together now in silent prayer and the band will begin to play as this video cuts away. And um, then when you're ready, uh, as you're praying and you're hearing the music, um, when you're ready and you've done some business with God, you can go ahead and take those elements, uh, eat, of the, eat the bread and drink of the cup. And then we'll continue singing together after that. Love you, Sound City. Good to be with you today. <laughs> 